Welcome to session eight of Backyard Barbecue. Here we don't just barbecue hamburgers and hot dogs. We also barbecue ideas and politicians. You see, we can respect the office of our various leaders, but we don't always respect the person in the office. And we have that responsibility to check into what they're doing because they represent us in their leadership capacity. We are citizens of a republic. And we haven't been doing so. And because we haven't, a lot of things have happened that should never have happened. We have been a sleeping giant, but we're awakening. And look out when America rises up and takes charge of what it should be doing and what it ought to be doing in terms of how we ought to govern and run our republics. It's been an amazing week, hasn't it? The cheering crowds of Libya, cheering, so happy that Gaddafi has disappeared and they've captured Tripoli. We have a member of our fellowship here that was in Havana when Castro came into Havana and there was the same type of cheering, same type of excitement, changes, wonderful things are going to happen now. We're getting rid of the old and we're coming up with the new. And Castro showed his stripes within a year. We've seen the same thing happen in Egypt. We got rid of Mubarak, but who took over? The administration was warned again and again that it doesn't necessarily mean that we were going to have anything but the Muslim Brotherhood, and that's what we now have. What was once a secure border between Egypt and Israel has been penetrated by terrorists from the Egyptian side burning buses and killing people. So much for the Islamic idea of living in peace and harmony. The Council of American and Islamic Relations, CAIR, recently took a school district in Chicago to task because they said that the Islamic people practiced slavery back in the 12th, 11th, and 12th centuries. And they were very upset by it. Why? Because we have evidence that Islamic nations, particularly in Somalia and places like that, are still practicing slavery. Slavery is okay in the Quran. There's nothing against it. You are permitted to have slaves. So don't let's talk about what we are trying to, or we're trying to whitewash and make things seem that they are not. I'd like to read to you something from the Quran that deals with how they are to relate to you and I as non-Muslim, the unbeliever. From Surah 3, Verily Allah has cursed the unbelievers, whom we defined as Christians in the fifth surah. Believers, take not Jews or Christians for your friends, and has prepared for them a blazing fire to dwell in forever. No protector will they find, nor savior. That day their faces will be turned upside down in the fire. They will say, woe is us. We should have obeyed Allah and obeyed the messenger. Our Lord, give them double torment and curse them with every great curse. From Surah 4, seize them and slay them wherever you find them. 
any case, take no friends or helpers from their ranks. Surah 9, slay the idolaters wherever you find them. Take them captives and besiege them and lie in wait for them in every ambush. Surah 22, fighting is prescribed for you and you dislike it, but it is possible that you dislike a thing which is good for you and that you love a thing which is bad for you, but God knows and you know not. Surah 22, 42, 44, then fight in the cause of God and know that God hears and knows all things. Surah 9, fight them and Allah will punish them by your hands, cover them with shame, help you to victory over them and heal the breasts of the unbelievers. Fight, kill them, and God will punish them in your hands, cover them with shame. Surah 47, when you encounter the infidels, strike off their heads so you have made a great slaughter among them, and of the rest make fast the fetters. You see, part of the problem that we have with the Islamic religion is we don't understand it. Anybody that thinks that they are a peaceful religion of love and care had better read the Quran. And remember, a Muslim is one who has surrendered to the will of Allah, which is revealed in the Quran as revealed to Muhammad, an immoral, illiterate camel driver formed the religion that we have to deal with today. And so we have a thing called taqiyya, T-A-Q-I-Y-Y-A, taqiyya, which means you are lying for the sake of jihad. Recently, Glenn Beck gave us a great program from Jerusalem. And in there he read a letter from a sheikh who was saying nice things. And we cannot tell whether the sheikh meant it or whether it was taqiyya. And you never know. Remember, a person of the Islamic religion does not have to carry out any contract or any agreement with an unbeliever. There's been some comment about how come our president is doing various Islamic practices such as not wearing jewelry during the fast of Ramadan. He says he's not a Muslim. Is that taqiyya? Is that something we cannot trust because it's part of the jihad. Recently, we've had a lot of vilification of the Tea Party. We had a representative Waters from California saying that the Tea Party ought to go to hell. Now, I want you to take a look at Representative Waters. She's under investigation at the present time because she and her husband took federal money put it in their bank, which is against the law, particularly since she's a representative of the federal government. They've been able to avoid prosecution by a bunch of ridiculous things saying that they were involved with this or with all, and the Republicans have been doing this and that. But it will eventually come to trial. This person who wants the Tea Party to go to hell, you know that we're known Anyone is known by the quality of their enemies. When we have enemies that are doing what they do, 
and saying what they say, we in the Tea Party are doing something right. It is good to have enemies like that because it means something is going on that should be going on. But it's just the beginning. We know that in the upcoming campaigns, there's going to be from the leftists the most vilifying lies and statements, anything to try and get people to sway their vote. Remember, there are four kinds of citizens. There is a citizen that does not know and doesn't vote. There's a citizen that doesn't know but think they do because what they have heard they learn from the various media. And they're voting and they're the dangerous ones. And there are those that know and don't vote. I don't know why they don't but they don't for some reason. And there are those that know and do carry out their responsibilities as a citizen. Then we have a thing called a day of rage. A day of rage. September 17, they're supposed to have 20,000 people flood into lower Manhattan, set up tents, kitchens, peaceful barricades, and occupy Wall Street for a few months. This is what's supposed to happen. And it's supposed to happen not just here, but in Madrid, San Francisco, Toronto, London, Sydney, Australia, Frankfurt, Germany, and Tokyo, Japan. A day of rage. A day of rage. Why? Because one of the four things that every socialist swears to do, not only to destroy spirituality, but they are there to destroy the capitalistic system. And we have trouble because some of the capitalists have been doing some pretty awful things. And we'll talk about some of the awful things they've been doing from episode to episode. We talked about the Federal Reserve System. And there's no way you can justify the behavior that they have done. But at the same time, you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. When these socialists take over and government runs things, who is going to control them? When the capitalists are in charge, we have a government that can at times exercise its governmental problems or policy the way they should. But you don't have that in a socialistic system. What do you have? You have rebellion. That's the only way citizens can take back a government that is doing things that they don't want. And we witness that in time and time and time again. When the fall of a socialist system has been instrumented and taken and, and has happened through rebellion, that is not the way we need to go. We believe in our society that a person has four rights. We have a right to plan, a right to buy, a right to sell, and a right to fail. We believe an individual, according to their, their gifts and their techniques and their abilities, have a right to plan and plan to do this or that or something else. They have the right then to put together whatever they need for, uh, to execute that plan. They have a right to try and make that plan work. 
and they have a right to fail if it doesn't work. That's how the capitalistic system is supposed to work. And when it does, it works very, very well. Mentioning buying and selling. We have a Federal Reserve System, which is a good example of capitalism that is not what it should be. But here are some of the things that we've discovered. They've just given $1.2 billion trillion in public money, $1.2 trillion in public money, but we don't know where it went. And they're not telling us where it went. And they don't have to tell us where it went. Because after all, we don't control the Federal Reserve System, except in the most distant way we have something to say about who's going to be in charge of it, but that has never been challenged really. And they have never been audited except briefly just this past year. So we don't know where $1.2 trillion went, but we know that that $1.2 trillion represents a huge debt in the American economy. Where did it come from? It came from you and I. And here's where some of the largest borrowers were. Morgan Stanley got $107 billion. Citigroup got $99 billion. The Bank of America, $91 billion. And it wasn't just American finance. Among the top 30 borrowers, which includes the Edinburgh Royal Bank of Scotland for $84 billion, and the Zurich-based UBS Bank, which got $77 billion, Germany's Hypo Real Estate Holding, which got $28 billion, and $21 billion in each of 1,366 1, employers. The largest borrowers also include Dexia from South America, Belgium's biggest bank by assets, and the Societe Generale in Paris. Where is this money going? Well, I'll tell you where it's going. The cost of government. Our government costs so much that every American taxpayer worked until the 12th edition of the month of August for the government. On August 13th, in the average, is when they were able to work for themselves and use that money for their own ends. Think of that. From January 1 to August 12, we worked for the federal government. Now, some states were worse than the others. Connecticut was worse. They worked uh, until September 10th for the government. New Jersey, the taxpayers must work for 249 days. New York, 242 days. If you want to live in the best state, it's Mississippi. They only had to work 200 days for the government, for the cost of government. That's the cost of the government that you and I are paying. That is the cost that is being sent to banks around the world and in their own financial centers to be used as they see fit with no accounting to you and to I, to me. No accounting. Isn't that an amazing thing? Then we saw something, the problem of the unions this past week. There was a strike with Verizon. And they have so far done, up to August 7th, 
the first day of this strike, they have done 143 acts of sabotage, ranging from all kinds of things to throwing bricks to uh, car to uh, sabotaging cars of one thing or another. And when they were called into accounting, the Communication Workers of America, their president or their union boss said, there's nothing wrong or undemocratic or un-American about militancy. It's part of our tradition. It's part of our tradition. And we saw that tradition, didn't we, in Madison. Madison, Wisconsin, where they wreaked $1.5 million in damage. And who paid for that? The taxpayers of Wisconsin, not the unions who did it. Let's take a look also at something else that the unions are doing. You wonder where the um, money goes that the union workers pay in. And they're supposed to be, if they give money to various political agenda, they need to give it to both sides. So here's what the unions have given. The Democrats, the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, $40 million. Republicans, 500. International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, 29 million. Republicans, $679. Service Employees International Union, we'll come back to them in a minute. 26 million. Republicans, $9,800. Communication Workers of America, the one we just talked about, 26 million. And they paid Republicans, 125,000. And so on it goes. United Auto Workers, 25 million. Republicans, 182,000. AFL-CIO, 17 million. Republicans, 713. You wonder where the money is going? You wonder why the Democratic Party is backed up by the unions? You wonder why Obama is so much in favor of the unions? Here's a story. The exact amount paid to the Democrats, the Democratic Party, amounts to $486 million. $486,440,870 to be exact. That should buy a few votes, shouldn't it? Remember the Operation Fast and Furious? The time when our um, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms people sent some of our best weaponry down to Mexico to see what they would do with it. And we found out what they did with it. They were using it for crime. And they will be, we'll be picking up some of that uh, armament already, and we'll be picking it up more for years to come, as it's used against Mexicans and our own agents down in, in the, on the borders. So what happened to those people that came up with this ridiculous idea, which is being stonewalled by Eric Holder? It so happens that the three agents that did this have all been promoted. William J. McMahon, William Newell, and David McGough have all been promoted for what they did. That tell you something, what's going on with the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms? And our Attorney General says he knows nothing about it. It's it totally news to him. 
remember he has a background of Chicago politics. How would you and I feel if we were instrumental in placing weapons in the hands of thugs and they went out and did the usual things that thugs do, kill, rape, and murder? How would you and I feel about that? How will these three men look at themselves in the mirror when they get up in the morning to shave and deal with the fact that they were instrumental in murder, rape, and robbery and got promoted for it? Last week, I spent a lot of time with Soros talking about this particular man who has tremendous power in this country. And I told you about an, a conversation that he had with a Steve Croft on their 60 Minutes from CBS. And I would like to read to you a section of that particular interview. So, Soros has repeatedly called, now this is the, from 60 Minutes quotation, has repeatedly called 1944 the best year of his life. 70% of Mr. Soros' fellow Jews in Hungary, nearly half a million human beings, were annihilated that year. Yet he gives no sign that this put any damper on his elation, either at the time or indeed in retrospect. During an interview with 60 Minutes, Steve Croft Soros was asked about his best year. Croft. My understanding is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were his adopted godson. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property with your fellow Jews, friends and neighbors. Yes, that's right, yes. I mean, that sounds like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? No, not at all, not at all. I rather enjoyed it. Croc, no feelings of guilt? No, only feelings of absolute power. Then he was, goes on to, to talk about how he always had to deal with the messianic complex. You know what that is? When people think that they are a version of God and they have the right to do whatever they want to do. He said that he had to hide this because it would get him into trouble. Messianic complex. This is what he's done. Soros made his first billion in 1992 by shorting the British pound, which leveraged billions in financial bet, bets and became known as a man who broke the Bank of England. He broke it on the backs of hard-working British citizens who immediately saw their homes severely devalued and their life savings cut drastically almost overnight. In 1994, Soros crowed in the New Republic that the former Soviet Empire is now called the Soros Empire. The Russiagate scandal in 1999, which almost collapsed the Russian economy, was labeled by Representative Jim Leach, then head of the House Banking Committee, to be one of the greatest social robberies in human history. In 1997, Soros almost destroyed the economies of Thailand and Malaysia at the same time Malaysia's Prime Minister uh, Mohammed Mahathir, Mahathir, names are pretty difficult to say sometimes, called Soros a villain and a moron. Soros was part of a full court press that dismantled Yugoslavia 
and caused trouble in Georgia, Ukraine, and Burma. Calling himself a philanthropist, Soros' sole role is to tighten the ideological stronghold of globalization and the new world order while promoting his own financial gain. He is without conscience, a capitalist who functions with absolute amorality. France has upheld an earlier conviction against Soros for felony insider trading. He was fined $2.9 million. In his native Hungary, he fined him $2.2 million for illegal market manipulation. And on it, on it goes. Now, why is this so important? Because Obama is paid for, guided, and sustained by Soros money. Ever wonder how somebody with uh, the training that Obama has would become president of the biggest nation on earth, coming from nowhere, pushing the Clintons aside, taking over, and being elected, spending $2 million to get his past covered up so that it could not be traced. The lawyer that did the cover-up, name was Kagan. You have an idea who Kagan is? Obama appointed her to the Supreme Court. She is now a Supreme Court Justice. That's the type of thing that we're looking at, you see. In his book, Obama says, the book called Coil of Rage. This is our president, and he says, I will stand with the Muslims should the political wind shift in an ugly direction. I ceased to advertise my mother's race at the age of 12 or 13 when I began to suspect that by doing so I was integrating myself, ingratiating myself with whites. I found a solace in nursing a pervasive sense of grievance and animosity against my mother's race. There's something about her that made me wary, his mother, a little too sure of herself maybe, and white. It remained necessary to prove which side you're on to show your loyalty to the black masses to strike out and name names. I never emulate white men and brown men whose fates don't speak to my own. It was my father's image, the black man, son of Africa, that I packed all the attributes I sought in myself. The attributes of Martin, Malcolm, Dubois, and Soros. That's the president that we have. You see, we can get a lot of information. And it comes out over the various emails by a lot of kooky people, quacks, people with things to But this material I'm giving you is hard research. There's nothing in here that is part of any attempt to smear anybody, simply to analyze and get the facts before us. And I want to close with, in talking about the Council on Foreign Relations. When Wilson came up with the 14 points, the 14th of which was the League of Nations, came back to the United States in 1918, 1919, it didn't go over. It would not be ratified by the, not the American Senate. So they formed 
1921, the Council, 1923, excuse me, the Council of Foreign Relations. And the purpose of the Council of Foreign Relations is to provide a one world government. Why? So that the world can be manipulated by the financial engineer. Because the same people that set up the Federal Reserve System also set up the Council of, of Foreign Relations. Every one of them. Know your enemy. Know the fact that we have had a government. The CFR is the promotional arm of the ruling elite of the United States of America. Most of the influential politicians, academics, and media personnel are members. Who are the members? Every president that we've had except Truman. Barry Goldwater was not one. Every member of the, uh, every leader in the armed forces, the uh, Department of Defense, is a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. Every State Department person, beginning with John Foster Dulles, has been a part of the Council of Foreign Relations. The Council of Foreign Relations exists to create a one-world government which allows the financiers of the world to manipulate and control the money of the world. I would like to have you go to your computer, print it, type in Council of Foreign Relations and read what they have to say about it. Type in the Federal Reserve System and see what they have to say about it. It is time that we woke up and realized what is going on behind the scenes. This is Lawrence Sinclair reminding you that we are not alone in this. The God that calls himself I Am is still in charge. But he needs to have some faithful people to step up to the plate because angels aren't going to do it. It's up to you and I. We're not alone. But we must stand together in this moment of crisis for our nation.